Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Do you want to know a story? I would love to know a story. So, this is an epic tale that's been passed down from generation to generation. Many have been told this, many have heard this, and many have felt inspired by this. Okay, okay. Are we about to inspire more by sharing this story with them? I hope. I certainly hope so. Okay. I certainly hope so. Okay. For this is the story of the time in the year of our Lord, 2007. Okay that the Argentine national rugby team defeated the Georgian equivalent 33 points to 3. Now, many wondered why this particular fable has captured the imagination of so many generations and worlds of people for so long. Many people have have asked this. For thousands of years, people speculated whether this would come true, much like 2012, and it did. This came true. Argentina did indeed beat Georgia 33 points to 3, and there was indeed a game called Rugby Union Football invented in order for this to take place. In, funny enough, the town of Rugby, which is a real coincidence, considering they named that very much in hope that that game would one day be created there, and Will Rollins would go to school there. And it was very funny this all happened to take place in Lyon in 2007. Okay, okay. I think it's time that we finally reflect fully on this masterwork of culture, this important pop culture document that we all know has impacted our lives Mm -hmm. significantly. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it's quite a coincidence that that's the story you choose to tell today. Because um, on this very day, I've actually gone back and reviewed the footage of this moment in in our time. Yes. This moment in the world, the snapshot of this historic event. I've actually gone back and reviewed that. So I would... I would actually say that I'm qualified to join you in conversing about this this historic moment. I think it truly is one of the great moments in modern history, modern culture. Mm. Yes. You know, you're looking at the closing of the mines in the 80s, you're looking at Sinead O'Connor and SNL, and you're looking at Argentina Georgia in the 2007 Rugby World Cup as the standout moments within urban history mm, it's... over the last few decades. The invention of the Pope Mobile, that's another one. It's mm, another big one. No, it's not. I would actually, I'd say that Argentina George is way above that. And the invention. No, of course it is. I'm just saying that's like, but that's like fifth. I think that this is a story that needs justice doing to it. And yes. it would be nothing short of an honour to join you in telling it. I would be glad to do so. I believe you are Will Owen. Yes. Uh, last time I checked, I, it was something in that ballpark. How about you? I forgot oh, to. Um, Sorry. Robbie or Squidge, whatever you want to call me. And I would like to welcome you to the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective as we look at Argentina beating Georgia in a pretty uneventful game. It's funny that this game, this this episode of the podcast is, as usual, going out of the weekend. You know, they, they go out on Fridays, generally. And I'll tell you what, weird this is going out at a weekend when 
this is the most Wednesday night game I've right? ever seen. I've literally got it in my notes that this is this just feels so much like a Tuesday. Honestly. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is the most, yeah, you've just got home from school. I'm pretty sure it was on a Tuesday. We'll have to, we, we need to check this. This is really important info. So it was on the 11th. Well, it happened on the 7th. Yeah, it happened on 9-11. Okay. Well, that's that, that's an unfortunate date for me to check in my calendar. Um, it was a Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. It is the most Tuesday night fixture in history. The thing is, it is also the most Wednesday night fixture in history. It is, it is. Like, I will concede that, but... And the most Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's close on Thursday. It very I think, much like... answers the question, could they do it on a mild Tuesday night in Lyon? <laughs> yes. <laughs> in Stade de Goland. We. Oui. It's unbelievably like there's a really specific vibe that doesn't happen any other time in rugby really and it used to when they do challenge cup games on a thursday yes and you get that join the club season or churchill cup on a wednesday that churchill cup on a wednesday that's a specific vibe as well yeah. all of this has disappeared the urc briefly tried to do monday and tuesday night games and i think the south africans just didn't like it and they stopped doing it once you know the stormers and the bulls and so on came in and you know what fair enough but i was a big fan of those weird monday night games Me too like the thing is, in theory, this is probably quite a shit game. I weirdly enjoyed it. I know what you mean. I spent I spent the whole time going through it thinking like, we've watched so many games that are like this in this podcast, and it's going to be one of those mm. episodes, right? But actually, you know what? I could embrace this game for what it was. I have no interest in watching this again. Oh, no, 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 no. And I'm glad this wasn't a game I was watching live and then knowing... It's going to be weird watching the next World Cup later this year, knowing that eventually we'll come back and do this again in like <laughs> 10 years' time. But that's which... the thing, though. We look forward so much to the 2023 World Cup. There will be these games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They absolutely will. We'll of never, course. We'll never have a World Cup without them. They're always going to happen. And we these never games should. in which, like, a Tier 1 nation versus a Tier 2 nation, and the Tier 1 nation is playing okay, but they're sort of saving themselves for the yeah, next game. Yeah, and just grinding their just way to a victory. Big... Yeah. Exactly. And they're kind of grinding the way out, and the Tier 2 nation is throwing everything at it, but with no accuracy. That's it, yeah. But look, these games are a necessity to Rugby World Cups, and they're, they're a yeah. part of why I love them so much. Because you sometimes it, get these, like, this game was like a perfect 5 out of 10, objectively. Mm, mm. It, this is the average really rugby match. Weird. Really weird to be doing this on Sixmas Eve. Like, this podcast is going this for the Six Nations. It which is. is one of the big celebration. Really, I wish we'd got, like, Ireland, Scotland or one of those games yeah, to yeah. here. But, alas, instead, we've got the most Wednesday night Rugby World Cup yeah. match ever to be played here. Firstly, happy Sixmas one and all. <laughs> yes. I hope everybody's enjoying their Sixmas Eve. But you say you say all of that. But this time last year on Sixmas Eve, we popped an episode on Wales Ireland from 1987, which we were like, "Oh, okay, it's going to be a big one." We tried to book a big guest for it, didn't quite get there in the end. And we're like, "Okay, this is going to be big." You know, it was before Wales actually play Ireland, and it turned out to be like the worst game we've oh, ever was, covered it's just on this an podcast. Atrocious game of rugby. Yeah, uh, where for anybody who's forgotten, you gave you gave Dick of the Day to the players. Um, <laughs> he deserved it. That was a horrible experience. So to go from that to like the median on all of the games of rugby I've ever watched. And look, I've seen some shit ones. I've seen some bangers. This one goes slap bang in the middle of all of them. I think you're right. This is one of the most average games of rugby ever played. This is the Jonathan Spratt of matches. (laughs) This is like perfectly five out of ten at everything. Yeah. You know, in terms of quality of the tries, in terms of quality of defense, of kind of passion and spirit and everything, like this is exactly halfway to what you'd want on every single quality. There's a lot of good stuff in here. 
yeah, but yeah, I just yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm going to be descri- using the word. Oh, that was absolutely fucking atrocious. Though I don't think I'll be saying no. that very often. I don't think I'll be saying, "Oh, that's world class." Very often in this, it's just oh, like, "Oh, this was this was good." Yeah, this was fine. This was functional. You know, this happened. Yeah, I thought this was all right. We've just spent five minutes describing how okay this game was. <laughs> so no, I think actually the thing that sums this game up best. My favorite thing about this game, right? And I'm going to mention this up top before we get into the game itself. Okay. You know how we talked about in the opening ceremony, the atmosphere changing when Jonah Lomu comes in and yes. the stadium, and how amazing that is Yeah, when he comes in and he's there. And in the opening match, they show Jonah Lomu's there a few times. Oh, mate, the place and erupted. Lomu was here again, right? Yes. And before the game, they briefly show Jonah Lomu there. They then cut up to Jonah Lomu half an hour in and he's asleep. <laughs> like, Jonah Lomu fell asleep at a rugby match. <laughs> Him and the Queen both. There's a great <laughs> point where you can see Joan Lomu on his phone. And in 2007, yeah, yeah. just going on your phone as a casual thing when you don't know what else to do wasn't as much of a thing. So it must have been he was really bored and having to just text somebody saying, like, this was, you know, this is this is quite bad. You know, I don't really care for this. And the thing is, they immediately go, why did they send Joan Lomu to Argentina against Georgia? Then you remember it was a Tuesday. <laughs> the first iPhone was released in 2007. Okay. So maybe Jonah Lomu was pre-ordering one on his old phone. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe maybe he was setting it up, and that's why he was distracted from the game. I mean, it's just, like, Jonah Lomu was desperately bored by this, and I don't blame him. Yeah. Because you do think, like, Jonah Lomu, one of rugby's all-time greats, only had only got to watch so many games in his life mm. because he was, you know, he tragically is yeah. like so much sooner than he should have. And we lost him at and the age of 40, which is so insanely young. Yeah. And one of those games was this. It was the most <laughs> 5 out of 10 game that ever happened. Which, in fairness, elevates it maybe to a 5.1 because Lamu was in the building. <laughs> yeah. I think that gives any game a boost. Think of all of the games of rugby that have like, ever happened, what percentage of them do you think have had literal Jonah Lomu present for it? I just, I found it incredibly funny when the cameras cut up yeah, to Jonah Lomu dozing in the stands. Like, I know. Asleep. Oh yeah, you're a step up from Lucas Borges, it's aren't like, you? Uh, that is the funniest thing you can cut to in a rugby <laughs> match, I think, is maybe the greatest player of all time. Certainly the most impactful player of yeah. the last 50 years. But, like, what was he going to do on a Tuesday night in Completely France? Completely nodded off. Exactly. <laughs> he stuck there. He had to do something. He goes to see this game <laughs> in seeming like one of the common cheap seats and falls asleep. I really want to know if, and as I say, unfortunately he's no longer with us, but... If he was, I would love to know what his memory of this game was. It would have been great if we could get him on this podcast just to say, Aya Jonah, what do you think of this game? Did you like it? Do you remember that you went? And he'd probably go, it was fine. <laughs> bless him. God bless, bless Jonah Lomu. Incredible to see him there. What a man. I will never, ever speak anything but praise of Jonah Lomu. Until we get to 1995. Until we get to 1995. It's going to be hilarious if we get to that game and find out that Mike Cat overall had a better game than Lomu. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, but it's that thing though, because like we had it in 1987, where it's just like you have this preconception that a player's class, then you realise they're shit. That will not apply to Lomu, I'm absolutely certain. But I'm just saying, I've never, I've, I've not never, but... I've not very often seen him play full games, so we will see. But I love the guy, anyway. I love the guy, and I was very glad to see him here. Indeed, who doesn't? But yes. So this leads us, yeah, back to 2007. It's 
A, I mean, Argentina have won their opening game. They've beaten France on the opening day. Georgia, on the other hand, have just qualified for their second ever Rugby World Cup. Mm-hmm. Georgia, of course, hold the rare distinction of being the country who qualified for a Rugby World Cup in the least time since they declared independence <laughs> in 2003. Just 13 years, which is incredible. Years. So when when we when we break off with Cornwall, when you know when we're planning mm. to be yeah, kings of Cornwall, yeah, 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 yeah. and we break off and run Cornwall, and we need them to get into the Rugby World Cup, and Jack Now is going to come over on mm. the new re-qualified residency, yeah, yeah. and um, Josh Matavesi, well. <laughs> yeah. Sam Matavesi, we're basically going to rely on it's going to be forty Matavesis and Jack Now. Yeah. I don't know why Cornwall. We should have taken somewhere else. Yeah, we should but... have thought of like doing like. Yorkshire and stealing all the rugby league players, maybe. Oh, that's a good idea. That's always, that that's always where my mind goes. Let's do that instead. Let's, okay, Yorkshire independence, right? Yeah. Okay. We're taking Yorkshire. We're just taking all of rugby league and Stuart Lancaster. Yeah. And we're just going to run away. Yeah. And all it's right. going to be great. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, cool. we'll do that. When we, yeah. When, when we do that, we'll see if we can do it in 12 years. Okay, okay. That's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. the target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's three World Cup cycles. That's doable. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll that's do exclusively that. yeah. how I think that's of what the we... calendar is in World Cup cycles. I do the same, and it's <laughs> awful. That, like, I'm not I... joking. No, I know. I I plan my life out four years at a time. I think of everything in World Cup cycles. Honestly, like when, like for years now, if somebody mentions the year or like twenty twenty three or twenty twenty seven or something, I'll go, "All oh, right, that's a World Cup year." In my head. Yeah, you know? yeah, same. If someone mentions the year 2015, I go like, literally the image that pops into my head is uh, Lloyd Williams doing that cross kick. Genuinely, yeah. when I think of the, the number 2015, that is what comes into my head. I think of the logo of the 2015 Rugby World Cup. Yeah, that's fair. The England 2015 stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Like when I start thinking of where, you know, when people do like, where will you be in five, ten years? I think, where will I be in one or two World Cup cycles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird that. Are we? Yeah. Are we, are, are we weird for that? I reckon there's a surprising number of us, and almost all of them listen to this podcast. There are dozens of us. Dozens. Yeah, I mean, we exclusively deal in World Cups here, so that probably doesn't help. Yeah, there is nothing else. There is literally nothing else. No. Yeah, so Georgia qualified for the 2003 World Cup. They hadn't done too well, but they had a like a game against the Springboks where they'd caused them more problems than you expected, and kind of there was a lot of underdogs, like underdog cheer for them, you know, being... There was a lot of kind of spirit of like exciting rugby and so on for them. But then they disappointingly lost to Uruguay in that World Cup in their last game. In a game they were kind of like, they were looking at as maybe their real chance to win and they lost that. But the fact they qualified, the fact that the game was on TV was huge in the game growing in Georgia. Was just like an enormous like upward slide for it. Because as I've discussed at length in various videos and so on down the years. Leo Berte, the kind of national game of Georgia for hundreds of years, goes back thousands of years even. Lalo, which, you know, has evolved in different forms, but the modern form is incredibly similar to rugby. Like, it's come out very similar. And then rugby was introduced to Georgia, and people were like, oh, this is just, it's the same game, but other people play it and they have their own rules. So we'll just adapt we might to might as well, yeah. I'll tell you what, that could never happen the other way around. Rugby could never do that. And except, no. like, we need to play some... Well, it depends if they lower the is... tackle height. <laughs> that, <doesn't... Yeah. laughs> that is a factor. We need to start Lalo values. Yeah, that needs to be a thing. They truly are. They truly is different. Lalo yeah. truly is different. And I think slowly over the kind of four years between 2003 and 2007, you start to see the shift mm-hmm. towards rugby becoming the national sport in Georgia as it is nowadays, where it just grew and grew and grew. And more people were like, oh, actually, this is this is really interesting. And they started to sell out 40,000 people for games in Georgia. 
They did that several times in the Rugby York Championship leading into this. And then this year, in 2007, for the first time ever, Georgia won the European Nations Cup. Kings, go on, lads. They won nine out of their ten games and walked in. So they opened with a huge away win to Romania, um, which was the huge kind of building block in Bucharest, one of the first times they'd won there. And then from there, just grew in confidence. Had a record crowd, like one of the biggest crowds in Georgian sporting history up to that point, in to see them beat Russia in March in 2007. They won 31-12, which was an enormous result, then took very much the confidence of that, and they beat the Czech Republic 98-3 the next week. I can't lie to you, this doesn't sound nearly as exciting as the African qualifying. It doesn't. Sounds like a bit of a done deal. Like, if Czech Republic came back and hammered Romania the next week, then maybe, but... The Czech Republic gave Portugal a game the following week. Okay. You know, it was 23-3, eventually, to Portugal, Mm. which isn't great. No, that sounds like this game, but actually bad. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's the three. I mean, so Portugal-Spain sounds like it could have been fun. Mm -hmm. That's 21-18, like okay. late winner by Portugal. Yeah, that's a six or a seven out of ten. But yeah, I'm feeling like maybe we skip this when we're doing. I don't think we have to see this. No, I think we can skip it. Yeah, great. So we'll move straight past that. But yeah, Georgia were coming into this on reasonable form. They kind of built into being. They were kind of hitting that point that they are now, where they are the strongest non-six nations European team. Mm. And this was the first year where they could have legitimately claimed that 2007. The first year where they could have said that and they had climbed above the likes of Romania and Spain and Portugal. And they'd really taken that spot. And they hadn't nailed themselves in as they had in 2011 or 2015 or certainly by 2019. But it was the very start of Georgia being something you could could consider a force. And I think they came into this World Cup thinking that whilst we're not expected to win games, we're not expected to beat Ireland, France or Argentina it's not impossible that we can put in a good showing. And I think this was very much probably the game that they targeted, this game against Argentina first up. Especially knowing Argentina would have played a game already by then. Yeah, and Argentina had been given a four-day turnaround from their winning over France. And like, um, look, it's almost a cliche now of the thing of playing your World Cup final, but playing your big group game match on the Friday and then playing this on the Tuesday, it's not a great turnaround for a team as up for it as Georgia were. Yeah, and I think that's very fair to say that they absolutely were here. Like, this was a huge occasion for them. Mm. This was one of the, again, biggest stages they'd ever played yeah, on. Yeah, t- they had a lot to prove. Yeah, and like, they played the Springboks in England in the previous World Cup, right? But they'd gone in as massive underdogs who no one was talking about. And this was a chance for people to actually talk about and that's them. It. I'm not being funny, but in sort of, I'd guess, 90% of cases, your first Rugby World Cup as a nation you're kind of there to have fun. Like, yeah, you look yeah. at Russia in 2011, like, they were just there to chuck the thing about. Yeah. Uruguay in 2015 wasn't the first World Cup, but it was the sure. first for this kind of squad And that's it, like, we looked at Portugal's first vibe. game from this, very much yes. there to enjoy themselves. I'd say Chile 90% the of cases... Yeah, I'd say 90% of cases, because I hope Chile put in a bit of a fight. But you know what? If they just go there and have fun, that's great. You can that's go again in four is, years. If anyone has ever been in a position to properly compete in their first World Cup qualifying. I think Chile are. I 100% agree. I think they're in a stronger position than Portugal in 2007, than Uruguay in 2015, than any of those sides that have come in. I think there's something really quite remarkable starting to build there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And extremely well coached. I guess the only thing you can't really say in their favour is that they don't have 
a massive amount of players playing like in like Europe or in like no. kind of top flight rugby. But I think they've made the most of that by having all of their players condensed at the same club. Absolutely, yeah. By and bringing all them all together into a week in, week out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited to see how they go. Like I think I I can see a world in which they beat Samoa. It's certainly not within realms out of the realms of possibility. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't make them favourites for it. No, but I definitely think it. it can absolutely yeah. happen. Would Tori Alba start for Samoa? Do you reckon? Yes. Yeah, I think he would. Who's their current nine? Palotoval, maybe, still? Yeah. Yeah. I'd take yeah, he's still Tor- around. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd take Tori Alba over him. We're not going to go through the we're, team. We're not going to go through the, the Chilean team. We've got two more teams to go through. Yeah. So, yeah, so Georgia, it's an interesting one. They're on the rise. There's There was a lot of talk in the lead-up to this about how Georgia had a record amount of training time before this World Cup. Because generally their team had been quite thrown together last minute. Yeah. And they didn't have a lot of release stuff because it was a combination of in previous, the previous World Cup in mostly amateur players or semi-professionals. In this World Cup, 2007, pretty much their entire squad, like pretty much the entire team were playing in France. But that meant they were struggling to get release for them. Sure. You know, because all the players were suddenly based elsewhere. And it became an absolute nightmare for them to get all their players together, as happens with the likes of Samoa and with, you know, so many of the others. And when you look over their full squad, right, they have one player based in the local leagues, Mm -hmm. which is Mascaradze, the flanker. Okay. And then you have Samanadze, the scrum half, is based in Romania. And Eliza Basarevi is playing at Kranziar in Russia. Okay. Otherwise, all of their players are playing in France. Mm. The majority of them in the Pro de Deux. Yeah. With the notable exception of one Mr. Mamuka Kogodze, who's playing for Montpellier at the time, and Zavit Zurakasvili, who is playing for Claremont, alongside Shigedzi Shilaredze, another prop at Claremont. Really interesting, because they are very much the names that stand out on the team sheet, I think. Yeah, yeah, You mentioned, like, Maizaradza had quite a long career for for Georgia, presumably still quite young at this point. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of good players throughout this team, but Mm. you're right that the vibe is very much pro de deux rather than being dominant in the top 14, with the exception of a Gugodze and a Zirakashvili, who were genuine world-class players. Yeah, it was sort of a pro leader all-stars, mm. which is a hell of a team that I want to see compete. Yeah. And explains how many high tackles and indiscipline moments Georgia <laughs> have in this game. But you know what? Like, it does ha- kind of have that vibe. Like, yeah. it's like the world's best underdogs all playing together. Yeah, yeah, To just yeah. piss off this flashy team we've come off like, oh yeah, look at us. We've just come off the back of like a historic World Cup win. We've got Juan Martin Hernandez playing 10 for us. We've got Contepomi playing 12 for us. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Kind of thing. And they're just like, no, piss off. <laughs> I'm a big fan of like there's some players you look at in here right and like Gio Gadze who has a hell of a career for Georgia yeah. plays for a really long time at hooker he's at cast at the time who are in the pro he's with them when they get promoted stays with them for ages there's a bunch of like real servants in here who mm. carry them through from that amateur period right through to them properly competing and beating teams and finishing third in the pool yeah, qualifying and all of that in 2015 from the likes of as we mentioned so if you look at the should we look at the, the team that plays here itself, might as well yeah there's some of the big names that you'd expect from the kind of historic Georgia team is missing, but I still think it's a really strong, exciting team. Yeah. And they're not the most dynamic players in the world, but there's some very good players in there. The headline, of course, is a reasonably young Wamuka Gorgonze. Yeah, he's 22 at this point. He'd gone to 2003's World Cup as an 18-year-old. Yeah. Which is incredible for, yeah, at the time, a second row. Gorgonze in the row 
felt weird looking at it on the team sheet. I always knew that was something he could play and used to play yeah, kind yeah. of in his youth, but I was very much used to him playing in the back row. And you know what? Really suited it know, at this point in his career. Do you not lead him to convert to back row? What? Fabian Galtier. Really? Fabian Galtier comes in as coach Montpellier and goes, I see you as a back row forward and moves him. Fascinating. He was a specialist lock up until about mm. 2009. Well, that aged very well, didn't it? You're right, he's yeah. very much the, the standout. He In the second row, he partners Ilya Zedganidze, who is the captain for Georgia at this point, who, of course, went to 2011 and retired after that tournament, I believe. And, you know, was pretty good, but he was kind of getting ousted by Kote Mikatadze into the starting 15 yeah, yeah. at that point. But, like, you know what? I, I liked Zedganidze. I, I kind of didn't realise, like, what he had to offer. Like, clearly a good leader, extremely good carrier. And, like, it's really interesting because I look at him and I look at, the player Makitadze went on to become mm. very similar. And you can yeah, very much yeah. see like him transitioning Mikotadze into that senior role that he now has, or, or, or again, sorry, went on to have. I, I like Zedkinitsa. Yeah. You have a seemingly kind of David Zurichashvili in a weird period of his career where he is pretty experienced. He's been at Claremont for three years at this point. He's been playing for Georgia for three years at this point. He has 20 odd caps here. He has to give you the exact number. 13 caps, so he didn't have 20 on caps. I was just lying to you. I was spinning you a yarn like this wonderful and game. You all fell for it, lads. So, yeah, so he was a reasonably experienced player, but as we see when the scrum happens here, it isn't perhaps him at his peak. No, he was a long way off. I, I reckon and... it's entirely fair to say if you showed this era of David Shokashvili, the 2015 version of himself, mm. you would realise like how far he's come on. You know. He's 24 at this point, and props develop late. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. And he goes on to You can be, see the potential in him, but he's by 2011, class at this point. By 2011, he's a remarkable player. Yeah. By 2015, he's the best tight end in the world. Yeah. I think that's like, not And I think, I think there's like a gap between him and the next best tight end in the world once yeah. Adam Jones kind of goes off the boil. That's it. For a while, it was those two and Nicola Mass and then Daylight. Yeah. Those kind of the best titans in the world. And then, you know, Tyke Furlong came to fruition and now it's him and Sarah Byrne and nobody else anywhere near. So, yeah, Zero Cashville, as you say, went on to become a really, really well thought of, one of the best Georgian players of all time, if not the, frankly. And kind of, uh, I guess, the trendsetter, him and Nariashvili, for the mm. insane number of Georgian props we now see in the top 14. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big turning point was, I think, seeing him go so well at Claremont for them investing in him from, you know, they signed him after he had like two caps for Georgia. Yeah. And really invested him throughout his entire career. And yeah. that paid off Bloody big time. paid off, yeah. European Cups demolishing, you know, big kind of Springboks, All Blacks Internationals and so on. Like, that man was fearless. I think we should look at a bit of the back line as well. Yes. So, as you said, Abdurizze, who goes on to cap for the next World Cup, yes. come off, who is... I mean, he didn't stand out in 2011 as a great player, no. but I think he improves a lot between these two. Yeah, I, th I think that's fair enough. He was a confusing one in 2011, I think. It was really hard to kind of reflect on how he was as a captain and as a scrum half. But yeah, I mean, the analogy I want to use is the the World Cup of, uh, of Association Soccer Ball that happened mm. in 2022, I guess. I remember seeing a tweet on the first day of the tournament where the, the opening game was like Qatar against Saudi Arabia or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. And somebody had just like for a laugh gone like, you know what? 
home team, whatever, I'm going to put a fiver on Qatar, 1-0, right? And then they tweeted saying, I bought a fiver on Qatar winning 1-0 and I cashed it out after I saw their first pass of the ball. <laughs> and I very much had that with Abu Saritza. Of like, yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd put a fiver on Georgia to score out wide at this point. And then you see him throw one pass and go, oh shit, no. What, have I, what so, mistake have I made? And like, it's a he, real problem. He put a fiver on and he cashed it out for like £4.96 or something. <laughs> It's a good investment. It's yeah. a good return. <laughs> the So you've then got a 10, though. Hero of this podcast, icon, Merab National Kavur, man Hashvili. of Georgia. Yeah, the national man and indeed the perfect man. Yes. Merab Kavurkashvili is perfect. Hashtag. You know what? So we, uh, I'm not going to explain what that story was because we explained it once before in 2011. And I remember once yeah. when we did, somebody went and dug up those tweets. Yeah, and I don't want that. I don't want that. So, you know what? I tried to get that trending in 2011. I will probably try again next year, even though we'll be retired. I'm over it. Yeah, me too. But it's uh, you've then also got, at 13, Malakaz Urzikashvili. Yes. Who is a great underrated player. Yeah, yeah. Usually One of those players back, I like. Yeah, sort of utility back. Plays the Georgian Mills Muliaina. Fullback. Yes. <laughs> he... Tell you what, like, he was a player I loved rediscovering in 2011 and going like, oh, actually, he was quite fun. Yeah, yeah. And I thought he was good fun here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was good. He was good. Plays across the back line, retired after 2011 once again, and just was very symbolic of this era of Georgia. Do you want another fun fact about him? Go on. Was Georgia's youngest ever player until David Ninyashvili came along. Really? Very interesting. Was, I I take it David Kasharava first appeared after this World Cup. No, David Kasharov is in the squad for this World Cup. Is he? Okay. But he's not selected for this one game. Okay. He does play in this World Cup. Right. I think there's a particular treat relating to David Kasharov coming up. Interesting. Uh, when they play in Namibia. Okay. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Because in the meantime, their opposition is Le Argentine, as they say. Si. I've been doing Duolingo. Yes. So I think before we get into the Argentine team itself, you mentioned Joan Lomu sat in the stands, and that mm. being a historic thing in itself... But something else that I think is extremely iconic in um, the history of rugby is in the stands we also see Gus Pichot in a suit for the first time. Oh, really? Does he have trainers on? You can't really see, but the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> of course, yeah. Sat next to Mushal Le Drop. We oui. Let's see how this goes. We oui. That's an important moment. Yeah, because that is the big kind of headline story, I guess, is... Argentina keep a lot of their key players in, but they rotate out Gus Picho. So he can like he can't look handsome on the pitch. He has to look handsome on the sideline instead. Now, bastard. So they rotate in Nicolas Fernandez Miranda, mm-hmm. who God, I mean, like God bless him, man. Like what a rough career he ended up having because obviously he was a very good player. You know, was a very accomplished, solid player. Argentina only took two scrum halves, two special scrum halves this World Cup. Okay, right. But did the they did they pluck someone him, from the crowd again who could play scrum half sat on the bench for them? <laughs> they should have. The tricky thing about him, right, is that Fernandez Miranda was born about seven months before Gus Picho. Yeah. Imagine being an Argentine scrum half and being born at the same time as maybe your country's greatest rugby player of all time. Like, he Pretty rough. would frequently captain Argentina when Picho wasn't available. He would come in, you know... 
he scored five tries over his career. He was kind of like a regular captain, had a really good club career in France, back in Argentina at Hindu, and also played for the Sharks in the Curry Cup. Was like a really well thought of celebrated player and plays really well in this game, I think. Yeah. But only won 43 caps over a 14-year test career because Gus Pichot was in his way. Yeah, bless him. And how many of those would have been off the bench as well? Yeah, exactly. Like most of them. That's a real shame for him. But yeah, I like him. I like him. I've not really seen much of him play before. He's a mm. name you hear if you're kind of like a big rugby nors, like in kind of Argentine rugby circles. He's he's a name that comes he's, up, you know. He's the. I think he's kind of, to make a very Welsh analogy, he is Argentina's Bryn Mawr Williams. Absolutely what I was thinking. For yes. non-Welsh people, Bryn Mawr Williams, father of Lloyd Williams, was a legendary Welsh scrum half who was second choice with British and Irish Lions, but only ever won, I think, three caps for Wales, two caps for yeah. Wales. Because Gareth Edwards was the first choice above him, and yeah. Gareth Edwards is maybe the best player Wales have ever. And he was used. seen as the second best scrum off in the British Isles. Like, yeah. he would have started for any of the three, which is mad. And again, like you look at like Warren Gatland sat on the bench for Sean Fitzpatrick fifty plus times, yeah, and never won an All Black cap. Granted, that was because there weren't any substitutions back in those days, but you know, yeah. But Nicolas Fernandez Miranda is kind of in that pool, like. Really feel for him. He made his debut, and two weeks later, Gus Pichu makes his. Oh, and you're kind of like, oh, that's rough. right, never mind. Oh, God bless him. I wonder if he's going to try and sort, like, when Gus Pichu is busy sorting EA making a rugby game, if Miranda's going to run off and make Rugby Challenge 5. <laughs> I think that they should change it so the television show Miranda is about him instead of Miranda Hart. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. He can be tall and fall over. <laughs> And have like a funny laugh that everyone just yeah. kind of takes after, you know. I think somebody needs to get on like Photoshop and make that happen. Elsewhere in that back line, we have, so I've mentioned Hernandez, Contopomi. They're obviously the star names in this team retained after the win over France. Out wider than that, so they, they rotate out Manuel Contopomi and bring in Gonzalo Tiesi. I don't know how much mm. we've spoken about Tiesi on this pod before. He played in 2011, of course. Yeah, but good player. I think we good both player. rate him really highly and was, a, I'd say, probably quite underappreciated player. Really what quick those, 13. Like, yeah, like really powerful. You can tell he had a sevens background because he had that yeah. very sevens thing of charging at people, like, but with real pace. Yeah, I think it's. I think he'd still, like, get in the Argentina team today. I think he'd still be... A really good player, obviously, and again, like modernize all the skill set and the conditioning and so mm. on. But like, I, I think he was a really good player. And I, I think, think his he kind of fell out of it though in that kind of 2015, 20, you know, 2014, yeah, yeah. 2015 era because the his Hokade hands weren't as good is. as Falan wanted. Oh, sorry, as Hakade wanted from a yeah from a thirteen. Like yeah. he really valued a thirteen whose passing was exceptional. And that's it. Like as we saw how good how well it went for them in twenty fifteen. Speaking of what we just thought about, like he played at the same time as Marcelo Bosch, who yeah, had. Yeah one of the biggest left boots you've ever seen. To break through. Exactly. You know, could pass off both hands for, you know, 50 odd yards, could play 10 fullback, just saw the whole picture. It's a difficult yeah. person to, to play against, make yourself selectable against. Yeah. And one of those players as well, that just had a huge journeyman rating. Yeah. yeah. You know, was just like... Spent some time at Falcons, didn't he? Every three years. He ended his career at Falcons, yeah. But went from SIC in Argentina to then London Irish, where he was for three years, to Harlequins, who, where he was for 18 months, of course. to Stade Francais, where he was for two years, back to SRC in Argentina, then to London Welsh, where he was for one season. I don't remember being down. at London Welsh. Yeah, I do. I do. I remember playing pretty well for London Welsh. That's a good signing like, for them, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Newcastle Falcons. 
where he played the last three years of his career, which is his longest stint at a club, was his final stint at Newcastle Falcons, where he only played 19 games. So you're telling me that at one point, London Welsh had a midfield. In fact, I say not even a midfield. So they had Piriwipu at nine, Ollie Barkley at 10, Sonny Parker at 12, and Gonzalo Tiesi at 13. That was that was the, the crux of their back line. Ah, but would this have been the Gavin Henson period? It could have been the Gavin Henson period. This is when Sonny Parker was a captain, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then again, uh, Sonny Parker's been in their leadership group for about 15 years now. So they did indeed. They had... Oh, I don't know who Ross is. I've got a team. Gordon Ross, mate. It's Gordon Ross. Gordon Ross at 10. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, Felipe Contopomi takes the captaincy, because yeah. um, one my team, and Hernandez stays in at 10, but Arambaru comes in on the wing. Yeah. Great to see him, and, you know, obviously, tragic circumstances. Of course, of course. 18 months. Yeah. But good player, you know, really rated him, really rated him well, really good really run good... of the ball. In the pack, the I mean, the front row, first and foremost, Ayotza, Ledesma, Gonzalez, Barlino is terrifying. You do not yep. come up against that. Albacete looks terrifying as well. Fernandez Lobe, Leguizamon in the back row. It's a oh, very big and... pack. But the change they do make is they bring in Martin Durand mm. at six, who was... A player that I didn't know a great deal about because he's kind of a flanker who isn't much discussion before my time. Yeah, but was part I'm of not the familiar with free squad as well. Right, played one sixty caps in the end. Uh, retired a year after this. Played another year after this World Cup. Was briefly a sevens player, then went no, I'm too big a bastard for this, <laughs> and converted to fifteens full time. Was playing at Montpellier at the time. Okay, alongside Gorgodze. Okay, in the top fourteen, and was kind of quite a well celebrated and fought off player in France for basically being a big old shit out and he kind of he comes into the team he's the one kind of big change from that pack i'm hoping at some point he played against south africa and they had oz durant playing and so at some point in the commentary he's gonna say durant durant yeah it's good it's good it's good good. and that was not predictable it's like thank you for cutting off my punchline you dick he's everywhere so it feels like he's on both flanks because then he would be marta marta Anyway, do we look at the game? We probably should, shouldn't we? I mean, the other thing to mention, right, is that the referee is, again, a young Nigel Owens. Yeah, and you know what? I think he had a good game, Nigel Owens. Yeah. I thought he was good, and I really enjoyed the period where Nigel Owens was just a world-class referee rather than somebody who pre-scripted him telling off front rowers and players, generally. There's a kind of 
like career metaphor in the fact that he is generally just refereeing well for most of the game. And then, with about five minutes to go, he calls the two teams in and does a quip. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this sums your career up. Oh, we've done really it's well so far, really lads. Well. Yeah. yeah. Up until you decide to go, now let's do some banter. Yeah. Let's do a pre rehearsal. But generally, line. I think Nigel Owens had a great game. So, yeah, uh, fair yeah, play yeah, to him. Yeah. It's great to see him. It's easy to forget now that for the majority of his career, I thought of Nigel Owens so insanely highly. So I'm going to stick on that trajectory at the moment. Let's be positive about this. So yeah, great to see Nigel Owens Yeah, doing very well in this tournament at the start. The other thing I want to mention about the Nigel Owens thing is that uh, about two months before this World Cup started, Nigel Owens had publicly come out as gay. Of course. Which makes him, in this game, the first out gay man involved in a Rugby World Cup. That's... Which I think is just a moment And probably in international rugby? Possibly, but certainly in a World Cup, because he might have refereed World Cup warm-ups in between. I haven't checked Yeah, that. that's fantastic. Yeah, huge moment, first of many. He was named Gay Sports Personality of the Year by Stonewall in London after this World Cup for his contribution here and became a patron of the LGBT Centre of Excellence in Wales as, you know, as a result of this World Cup. Like it was a, I think a really big moment that was him being involved in the World Cup and refereeing high profile games here rather than just being a guy doing, you know, like Welsh Prem and URC and the odd other international because it's the start of Nigel Owens' kind of ascent towards being one of the yeah. best referees in the world. Yeah. So yeah, so it's a, I think it's a hugely significant moment. This is before we've had an out. I mean, obviously Gareth Thomas has played in World Cups, but not whilst out. Yes. And so I think it's, yeah, it's a very significant moment worth mentioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Tremendous. power to Nigel Owens, power to Gareth Thomas, power to anybody else involved in international rugby who, who is out and who is, um, you know, it's open on this kind of thing. It's great. But rugby, despite despite what certain things might have you believe, rugby can be inclusive and can be open. That's great. Yes. Yeah, that's why it's worth mentioning that. Absolutely, absolutely. God love Nigel. So we mentioned beforehand that the final score of this game is 33-3. Mm. And I've just realised why that's really funny as we're about to describe what happens at the start of the game. It's like half time in a hell match. <laughs> So, like, literally, the first kickoff of the game is dropped by Argentina for, like, no reason. Yeah, they're just not focused. They're just not interested. <laughs> they're busy they're looking like, at Gus oh, on the okay. sidelines, like, going like, ooh, <laughs> shiny suit. He's got his collar. He's got a couple of buttons undone. Look at him. He's so smart. Is that true? They're He's getting got... onto the pit. They get onto the pitch, and Lobe turns the geezer on his like. Mate, doesn't this remind you of the other day when we beat France? Wasn't that class? <laughs> He's like, oh shit, the ball came my way. <laughs> Except that's all in Spanish. And Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Georgia regather it and charge into the 22. And it's like, oh my God, they're going to score. Is this going to be like a really one-sided game? It's going to be one of those. And then like Argentina then get back a little bit in defence and start saying to each other, boys, 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 boys. Anyone remember when we beat France the other day? Yo, we did as well! We beat France the other day, the opener! Wasn't that class? We, we should talk about that forever! And Georgia then just start, like, rumbling up, picking goes, going like, lads, they're distracted by the fact they beat France the other day. And someone goes, wait, what? They beat France the other day? And then Fer- Fernandez Miranda goes, what? We beat France the other day? Oh, we did as well! So, yeah, and Georgia start doing the most boring attack you've ever seen, where they just start picking and going constantly and trying endless mauls and just doing whatever they can to try and get, like, two inches over the 22. And Argentina clearly just mind on other things, just thinking there. 
one of them says to themselves, like, I think it's Alvarez, the second row, goes, you know what? I've got an idea. You know what we beat France the other day? Do you think if I were to just give away a penalty so there's a stoppage, they'd put that up on the big screen and we could watch it back when we beat France the other day? So it very much looks like Argentina just get bored of defending how Georgia are attacking in a really dull manner and just give away a penalty. And Georgia kick it, they go 3-0 up. And what about one minute played? Yeah. That's a lot. And that's that's all they get <laughs> in a game that feels reasonably that. even. Me neither. Until we had to retell it and suddenly put the salt in the wounds of Georgia of like, all right. Okay, we've been describing this game for about three minutes and we've already described all of your points. Sorry. Can I ask you something as well? Go on. Right? Which version of this game did you watch on YouTube? Because okay. for some reason, this seems to be the most uploaded match <laughs> of rugby on YouTube. It's mental. There's, I think, six versions of it online. So there's one on that like um, that channel with like the Russian spellings on it. There's one yeah, uploaded yeah, yeah. by some Spanish geezer. There's one uploaded by the Sidemen, I think. There's one uploaded by Gary Lambert. One uploaded by Squid Rugby. <laughs> one uploaded by um, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall past uh, Rugby World Cups. One uploaded by Logan Paul. One by David Dobrik. Like all of. All, all I love of that them, you have named all of the YouTube literally people. Literally all of them of. I know. Yeah, <laughs> and that includes Uncle Boon Me, who can recall past. One Rugby by World Zoella. Cups. Remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where my references stop. Yeah, James Haskell. Too soon. Ardi Surveyor. Ardi Surveyor. Andrew Ford did a compilation of this game. Yeah, yeah, he did. He just did the tries yeah. and the good bits. Great moments of skill by Lucas Borges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So to answer your question, I watched the first three minutes on the Spanish coverage, and then I <laughs> yeah. changed over to the Irish coverage, which started three minutes into the game. So I saw. I, I clicked on that. Originally. Skipped all of George's points. Yes, that was it. I did the same thing. I started watching on the Spanish coverage. I realised the quality was terrible, even though I'd quite like to hear the Argentine commentary on Argentina playing. And I was enjoying it, but oh, the quality of footage was atrocious. Yeah. So I just went, you know what, I'm changing this over. I'll tell you and I tried the Georgian quality, but I was like, sometimes you just need Mark Robson. Yeah. And trying to write up a team sheet in like 120p. That's it. I couldn't read horrible. the teams. So the amount yeah. of players I've just got, where I've got scribbled then Adza. Or Billy. <laughs> yeah. It was just... It's just the Argentine team. It was that unreadable. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I did I did switch on to Mark Robson after three minutes. Mark Robson says something genuinely insane. Okay. Which is, in Georgia, there's only eight rugby pitches. Yeah. Which does not feel right. No, there's more than that. That cannot there's, be true. There's more than that in Long Eaton. Yeah. And like, I don't know, man. Like, I know there's all these stories about like Chile having to train on like a muddy pitch that's like, or like a and like concrete and stuff and all of this kind of stuff. But I highly doubt there's only eight pitches in Georgia. It's a national sport. And it must be like there's a bunch that are... It might be there's only eight professional yeah. like quality stadiums yeah. or whatever. Or, you know, it could be that there's a lot of them that are multi-sport focused. And if they have free sports on there, even if it's primarily rugby or primarily whatever, then... Well, it's a problem, but that feels like bullshit. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna call his bluff on that. <laughs> it's something he was probably told, and he went, "Wow, that's remarkable. They got this far." <laughs> and you know what? It's probably just something some guy said in a pub. Yep, and I'll very much go with that. Uh, but you know, it is Mark Robson, and he's usually so reliable on these things. And that's the other thing. It's like it could be true. 
could be true. It could be true. It could be a huge, great, brave underdog story. Not to go... But, or maybe Georgia have nine pitches. Not to go full Murray Mexted. He could be telling the truth or he could be not. <laughs> yep. They're, they're to the go options. full Murray Mexted now is to spend six minutes complaining about having had fish and chips yeah, instead true. of doing the podcast. But yeah, so there's a game starts going on. And I tell you what, I've said this once already. Georgia are up for it. Yeah, If yeah, they're yeah, one yeah. thing, they are up for it. Um, the halftime coverage comes on. And the host says, Georgia are great to watch, aren't they? They've not got a lot of finesse, but they really try. And that sounds patronizing, but you know what? It's accurate. Yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Like, they very much know what they can do. I think the very first kind of announcement of them being there, despite the fact they've scored 100% of their points that they're going to (laughs) score already, is Gorgoze absolutely nailing Borges on the wing Mm. and just going like, oh yes, this is young Mamuka Gorgoze. Who else would you want but him in that position? Uh, Well, somebody fast probably, but still like him putting bone crunches on just players left, right and centre. Spoiler alert, I think Gorgoze has a really good game. I think he does. I think he does. And it's funny because he's not eye-catching in the way he is later in his career. No. But I think he is outstanding. I think he's he very, very good. He can hit. And his work rate as well. Mm. There's a couple of moments we'll get to as we go on, but I think he's he's brilliant. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. There's, yeah, so there's a few really, really good hits going early on. He makes, yeah, that hit, that hit on Borges. There's Zegnitsa puts in a really good hit on Ledesma at one point. Mm. And Ledesma goes down injured and you think like oh okay because like it's not something you see very often like Ledesma is obviously absolutely nails and rarely goes down so you know he's hurt in that scenario Mm. but Argentina at that point starts setting up for a line out and you go oh what's going on here because they don't have their hooker and just randomly Fernandez Miranda is just stood in at hooker about to throw the ball in and Nigel Owens just says to him yeah yeah can we just get on with this please like rather than wait for the hooker to get back up Miranda throws it in, a hundred percent, a hundred percent line out success for the yeah. scrum half. That is oh. king shit if I've ever heard it. It stinks of he grew up in an era where you know they were like France. They still threw into the line outs with yeah. the scrum half until the eighties. You know, it stinks of there was probably clubs in Argentina where that tradition continued and he'd done it a few times early in his career. There's just something so big dick confidence about the way he's literally just stood there with the ball like in one hand, just lingering, not even square on to where the throwing is. And Nigel goes, yeah, get it in, please. And he goes, oh, all right. Puts it above his head, lobs it in and it's it's bang on. The other thing is, right, he spent his entire career covering being the 16th man because of Gus Picho. Like, he is stuck there going, like, I've got to learn every other skill on the pitch. I need a USP. Like, yeah. (laughs) He goes off the field and goes like, hey, Gus, you handsome bastard with your nice trainers. What's your um, line-out success rate throwing in, mate? He's like, well, I've got more chance of kicking Ledesma out of the team than Gus Picho. Yes. So I might as well start learning hooker. Yeah, just going to change positions, you know, 20-odd caps in. Yeah, that <laughs> shouldn't be an issue. Excellent throw. Yeah, yeah. And like, as I say, like, I think that that automatically elevates him into the man of the match um, pool, just because he did mm. that. Uh, I love it. I love it. I've got so much time for it. Scrum off empowerment. attack in the first 20-odd minutes is fantastic. Yeah. And they don't finish any of it, which is the frustration. 
but they have some real. They have a few passages where they're running a really great two phase attack with two waves. Yeah, where they've got a second wave out the back that's then hitting it. Yeah, and that was rare at this point. You had only a handful of teams doing that. Australia were doing that early in this competition, and Argentina were doing it. Yeah. And some of the attack is really pleasing. They have one attack in particular where they run run one wave off the line out, and they have a second wave behind, and they hit it up, and then they run it again, and the second wave gets outside Georgia really easily. And it would have been a guaranteed walk-in try, but Ledesma drops the ball. It's Paul a sitter pass. as well. It's an absolute yeah. sitter that Ledesma drops. I think that's probably a hangover from his injury. Like, he's not yeah, quite sure. recovered. He's still thinking about having played France. Slightly off the pace. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. But, like, he looked, yeah, slightly just off it. You know, still kind of, I guess, re-warming up. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, drops an absolute sitter, which any other day of the year you'd expect him to take him. I would say run it in, walk it in. But yeah, like, it's interesting because it was a really uneventful first half, but because Georgia mm. make that the case. But yeah. Georgia, oh, Georgia are just like throwing themselves at everything. They are being, and I mean this as a pure compliment, just utter cunts. Like, yeah. everything that Argentina so, do, they're just looking to spoil and be really annoying. There's a there's a category of player on this podcast, right, that we found. And obviously Vitboy... The hero yeah. fits into one, right? There's another, which is more the Anderman Row tier of players. Yes. And I want to put forward Araki Machinelli. He is yes. phenomenal. Because he's just like sheer work rate and being a prick. But not like in a nasty way. Just in a like, yeah. I will do literally anything to stop you if that's what it he takes. He is absolutely brilliant in this game. He's yeah. one of the best players on the park. It, the amount of... Huge hits he makes on bigger men just by being technically in the right place. The amount of great runs he has on the ball and just the amount of like cover he he gets through, the amount of work he gets his through. sheer work rate, yeah. It's insane. The play he reminds me of is he's kind of, he's slightly bigger and broader and like, he's not that tall, but he's quite broad. Like he's mm. quite like square in terms of build yeah. as a winger. But he reminds me a bit of Nicola Freitas, the Uruguay winger, now mm. 13, in the way that he will just die chasing back. And he will do, there's nothing, no cause he'll ever give up on. And he's kind of got that energy about him. Like, I think he's just, he's so good in this game. Yeah. The sheer amount of cover work he puts in. There's one point at the end of the first half where he puts in two cover tackles in about 10 seconds. Yes. Where he makes one cover tackle, the guy manages to offload it, and he scrapes himself off the floor and managed to dive and get an arm in to put him into get touch. Him to touch, yeah. It's fantastic. It's interesting. So, McAnally is a player that I don't remember very well mm. from watching him live or anything. I remembered his name, but otherwise, I only remember one thing about this player. And do you want to know what that mm. is? What? I remember on this podcast, Cammy Black telling us that he punched Graham Morrison in the face. <laughs> wow. That's Good all, on him. all I remember about him is that in Scotland, Georgia in 2011, he punched Graham Morrison in the face. It's all all I knew about him going into this it's game. Outstanding work. Yeah. And then after that World Cup, he goes on to get the captaincy for Georgia. Clearly, that's what they value, is how many Scottish backs have you punched? <laughs> He's like, well, I slapped Joe Ansborough once. No, that doesn't no, count. That's not good enough. Yeah, you got to up that game. But yeah, McAnelly, fantastic in this game. Like, you're right, very much in the Andy Monroe category of like, shouldn't work, but is brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Goes on to retire as the second top try scorer for Georgia. Really? To obviously Maruka Gugodze, which is remarkable that he's a winger. Though, I was going to say, like... He's give, the top scoring back for Georgia. Give it another 10 years, it'll be Sandro Tadua. He's never going to retire. Mm. He's, you know, he's going to just score a couple of tries a year, 
for the next three decades, and that will elevate him <laughs> to the top of the yeah. list. Uh, he's also currently backs coach of Georgia. Is he? So yeah, so interesting that he was a obviously he scored a lot of tries but he was very much a workhorse type player yeah yeah rather defensively than a, brilliant yeah just phenomenal doesn't surprise like, me I that he was he's... a good leader and seen as a captain later yeah on. yeah that's fantastic on the, looking at the basis of this Felipe Contopomi gets a penalty because Abusa Ritza just dived through a rock and punches the ball into next week very what's he doing very strange penalty what are you doing away. mate uh, so it becomes three all why are you why are you as the scrum half doing that why are you as the He's not subtle at all. And just chucking the ball away. It's not subtle in the slightest. Nigel Owens essentially just points at him and just goes like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You know that, don't you? Know, you? That thing Tiger Byrne did the other week playing for Munster, where he turned the ball over, the referee called mm. no and just placed it back on the blue side. Yeah, yeah. And as you said at the time, like an amateur referee would penalise that, but a professional referee is going to let it play on. Yeah. It's a like, genius bit of play. It's similar to that, except instead he just throws the ball as far as he can <laughs> further away. You're like, mate, what are you doing? He's trying to you pass to the ten. <laughs> You're also a scrum off. Yeah, he he's like, clearly he's clear. It's clearly his first ever thing. opportunity to cheat. Yeah. The other thing is, it's probably his best pass of the game. Yeah. <laughs> he actually hits her at Hernandez. <laughs> so yeah, we haven't really talked about this, but I was did say he his passing is shocking. Like, he at one point has to throw a clearance pass back. This is kind of Georgia's biggest problem in the whole game, right? It's Georgia incredibly scrappy and they play incredibly well and they defend really well. Yeah. But they are one of the worst teams I've ever seen at exiting. That 9-10 channel was just impossible to get from A to B yeah. on. So you've got Abazidze at 9 whose passing is poor. At one point goes a pass back to the pocket and basically lobs it straight over America Verkashvili's head. Merab has one of the worst games I've ever seen him have. Yeah. Uh, to say he was an incredibly consistent and great player. I was a huge fan of him. I think this is one of the weakest games I've I've seen. I would from agree. Him. I'd agree. And at one point, you have the commentators start saying, oh, "If only they had a better ten, they could get something going." And you're like, the problem isn't the quality of him. I think he's just having a poor game, yeah. which happens to everyone. And it's not helped by the fact that his nine is just lobbing it yeah, at his as outside said, shoulder all the time. He's not got much of a platform to work with. Bless him. No. Like you can tell that the, the kind of game he wants to play. Like he wants to play in the Argentine half, but he's not yeah. really getting the opportunity to do it. And also, yeah, like, I, it's that thing of like, if you're on the front foot, you're looking at that and going like, oh, great tactics by Kareem Kashvili, he's turning the back three, putting loads of pressure on them. But instead, you're looking and going, like, why is he constantly just kicking to Borges and Rambaru? Like, mm. it's one of those things that easily flips on its head. The other interesting thing, actually, about Merab Kareem Kashvili, it's worth mentioning now, seeing as it's George's first game, right? Is that, so Merab makes his, wins his first cap for George in 2003 as a teenager. Goes on to play in the World Cup later that year. Plays all four of the games off the bench. He then, however, the next few years, falls out of selection because mm-hmm. he was a scrum half at the time. Okay. He kind of came through as a nine. See, there was one point where he stood yeah. in at nine and did a really good job for like two or three phases. Yeah, yeah. Well, he So he falls out of contention, right? He falls out of like favour, mm-hmm. very much behind Abedizadze and Samakaradze, who both go to this World Cup as well. Mm-hmm. Very much falls out of contention as a scrum half. And so what he does to revive his career is he goes and he has a season playing rugby league. I thought you were going to say he goes to Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> you watch too many of the videos. Um, yeah, he goes and has a year in rugby league. So he spends a season converting, he converts position to be a fly half basically while he's playing rugby league. You know, because they've got that kind of like weird, like What's the Georgian rugby league se- team like? I should know this. I should know this. 
but I imagine probably terrible. He wins two caps for them. But the best thing is, right, in his two caps, he scores 46 points. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And bear in mind, like, you've got fewer points being awarded for kicks at goal as well. Oh, yeah. He is also, this is incredible, actually. He's the Georgian Rugby League team all-time top point scorer. No! With two caps. <laughs> <laughs> they disbanded their team a few oh. years later. I was going to say, if you are Mamuka Gorgodze and you're now 40 years old, you definitely go and get two or three caps in the league team. Just they to say that to record. Quali- they failed to qualify for two World Cups in a row, and they oh. just went, we're giving this up. That's incredible. <laughs> 46 is their record for most points ever. <laughs> two caps. Okay, okay, okay. Their all-time top cap holder is Alexandra Guerreri with six caps. Wow. Oh, okay, so he has played like a third of their games. Oh, no, he's a third of the amount of, yeah, their all-time cap holder. Yeah, you'd need in order to get there. Yeah. Before the match, they'll perform their own kind of war dance known as parukuli, which means footwork. <laughs> okay. Which is, does not sound intimidating. Oh, no. So, oh, man, there's a scandal here. Oh, is there? So George, they had to forfeit the last game of qualifying for the 2008 Rugby League World Cup, right? They had to forfeit it. It was due to be against Russia because... They had players going to represent their rugby union team instead. And they couldn't get a team out because people had gone, well, we're going to play the union instead. So that's very much what happens is like Merab comes back after his brief stint in league and comes back to play union. When the team recall him and he's converted to be a 10, he's kind of more in contention as a 10 and a fullback. You know, we kind of split his time between from there on out. And so they were like, well, I'm going to go and play union instead because I actually care about the whole one. And so they couldn't, they literally couldn't field 13 men. That's incredible. That they just ran out. I remember I, I once had it when I was when I was at uni. I got offered to play varsity rugby league, <laughs> and I, I've never played rugby league before, obviously. And I would be terrible at rugby league. Mm. And it's just there, like because they just didn't have like thirteen people who or, and oh. like a bench who were like willing. So when I was in Belgium a few years ago, I met lovely guy, huge Benetton fan, infamously was the Benetton fan who travelled all the way to their knockout game in Munster and it took him like a ridiculous length of time to get there and was really well celebrated for it. I met him when I was in Belgium. Lovely, wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. I feel like I probably shouldn't dox him. I don't want to, sure, you know, sure, whatever sure, sure. out stuff. But yeah, but he told me a remarkable story that he was, you know, he's, he's from Malta and he one day woke up he was a you know like reasonably good rugby league player played in kind of the belgium top division at the time was like played to a decent standard but not like yeah you know wasn't an international or anything no he was sorry he was he ended up he was playing in italy he ended up getting like a couple of caps from malta in rugby union and then one day got a phone call from his mate who said have you ever played rugby league before and he was like no and he went okay well we've got an illness in the camp so if you want a cap for the rugby league team, turn up at this ground by four. So he became a dual international. It's brilliant. Purely off, purely off a few people getting ill. I mean, that's great. That is that is the best way that you can possibly win a cap, isn't it? Yep. By being one so. of the only 13 people who's ever heard of the sport in the country. <laughs> so if you're Maltese and listening to this, start training and you're getting a national team. Yeah, just I was gonna say work hard and you can achieve your dreams. Just do st- stuff and you'll achieve your dreams. Sometimes I wonder, should I just move to Sweden, you know, and try and get in the national team? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good maybe point. Maybe not Sweden. Maybe like maybe. pick someone really low down. Yeah, 
Because I reckon like, there are nations that I could get a cap for. Yeah, I mean... Like, as I'm long rubbish as, at rugby, right? But I've played it enough. As, as long as they don't want me to tackle, I'm sure I could make a couple of... Yeah, um, I think tackling's teams. optional. And like, and maybe if hitting your 10 is optional as well, they don't mind opening up the ribcage of the 10 a few times. And they don't mind, if they also don't mind having a really slow scrum off. If just all of the above qualify, mm. and if you're a rugby nation... And oh, but I'd have to move there for five years. I don't know That's if you can thing, if you can time, find a loophole, then please, my DMs are open. <laughs> if you can find a way to make me from American Samoa, yeah, I just want to play international rugby. Georgia do a forty meter knock on, which I think is incredible. <laughs> we really need to measure the length of more knock ons. I think <laughs> so. Their number eight picks up at the back of the scrum using Nidzani. And he picks up the base of the scrum, he drops it, but he drops it onto his foot and he swings his foot as it goes. And the ball travels 40 metres straight to Corletto, who then has a, tries oh, to have a course. little crack yes. and looks very confused. And Nigel, because I just saw it initially, like the ball travels 40 metres and Nigel shouts knock on advantage. Yeah, he like, says what? advantage if you want. And Corletto yeah. just has a cat free counter attack. And obviously he gets nailed. So he's just like, okay, we'll go back for the scrum in a minute when I catch my breath and go back up there. Yeah, but it's just it's fun the novelty of seeing the ball travel forty meters on the lock on. Yeah, it's like, really weird. Out of his heart. I've seen that happen twice before in my history of watching rugby. Both times Nigel Owens has been the ref. Ah, interesting. Fun fact. Uh, I remember the other time it was the Ospreys against Leinster. And it was Lee Byrne had the counter attack and got hold advantage if you want by Nigel Owens. That's an anecdote nobody cares about. Cool. What else happens? Argentina fr- forwards. Mi- uh, uh, Argentina friends. I was about to say. Got written down. Argentina forwards mess about. Uh, Hernandez does cr- a crossfield kick and it goes dead. Oh, that's their mate. closest attacking the... try scoring chance probably in the first half. That's of the thing. Desmore. Hernandez's kick is excellent. Yeah. And Borges slows down because he thinks the ball's going to set up for him and yeah. he just doesn't. Yeah. And if he'd really heard it, he would have scored. Yeah. He's just it's kinda... a difficult one to judge in fairness. And it's I imagine that it was one wind. where you're, you're trying to anticipate the bounce of a rugby ball. Yeah. And if he'd just gone straight for trying to land where it would be when it would bounce initially rather than expecting it to yeah. bounce in a certain direction. He would have got there. He it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's but... the difficulty of rugby as a sport, because yeah. you never know where it's going to land and how it's going to happen. There's a point where Hernandez dummies the cameraman with an offload, like a miracle offload, where yeah, he gets like scragging yeah, yeah. a tackle. And the cameraman has clearly watched Hernandez play before, because he sees a short runner, like I think it was Contepomi, coming off Hernandez. And like the camera follows him under the sticks. And it's like, no, 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 Hernandez has been really well tackled here. Yeah, it's like, obviously he hasn't got that ball away, but I appreciate that he thought he might. Yeah, it's optimism like, it's because it's Hernandez. To him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, if Todd Cheney got tackled like that, the camera would be on the floor anticipating a drop, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it would have been a right miracle. Cut to spider cam already for the scrum. <laughs> yes. Hernandez also, we're just going to do loads of Hernandez shit. Uh, he does a scrubber kick and it hits the post, which is pretty good. Georgia then like have that thing where they start really panicking and have to like dive on it. and That awkward thing where they've got to exit, but the post's in the way. So that's that's in yes. the, the already hallowed 910 channel. I think Hernandez has a decent game, but that was a bad option. <laughs> That kick. Yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. He's very lucky that it hits the post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. that, if that kick, and he definitely wasn't aiming for it. Like, if that kick went anywhere else, Georgia would have just grounded it and gone for the 22. And there was a handful of those where, you know, ground was given away and so on. Yeah. Georgia, like, end up shortly after this, after defending quite a lot, somehow miraculously in the Argentine 22. And they go back to having the most boring attack <laughs> in the world. And it's vaguely effective. But then your man, 
Martin Duran Duran steps in and makes a really key turnover. And Argentina go, exiting looks really difficult when they're trying to do it. Should we not bother? And Hernandez does this remarkable run out from his own dry line. Entirely, entirely, because Chikaraz is offside, like miles offside. But he does an incredible run from his own line and sort of gets up to like the 22. It's so jammy. Really is. Really, it's like Nick Tompkins level. I, I remember, uh, and this is the second co- sort of playing anecdote of the day, but there was a time where I was playing like a thirds match, right? And we had one mm. guy who was a winger playing down, or fullback playing down from the seconds, who was like, thirds matches aren't usually built for people with speed. No. Like, there's not many of them. However, he was really quick and he knows about it. He's one of those players who uses his pace really, really well. And mm. they kicked the, the opposite can kick the ball into touch and it went like really far into touch. He went, got the ball and did the thing where he throws a, a quick throw to himself. At which point there's like oh, yeah, three yeah. like of the opposition players, like the biggest players, all in his face. And he gets out of the way of all of them. And one of them just shouts at him as soon as he misses the tackle, You lucky cunt! <laughs> as as this winger is sprinting downfield and nearly scoring and you know what Amazing. despite the fact he was on my team I agree yeah big energy of that to Hernandez the entire yeah. game yeah him getting away from all the Georgian biggest players because like him running that you have odds on he is getting nailed behind his line and dropping it and yet yeah there's this thing in rugby right where sometimes we talk about is something happening because someone's in form or because someone is class yeah. you know it's like like, you know, class is permanent, form is temporary, all Doubt of that, it. right? The thing that's happening with Hernandez in this game is confidence. Yeah. Like, he is in, he is so confident that he takes so many options that are poor options, that are not on, that shouldn't work, and he gets away with most of them. He just plays as the player who's like, oh, yeah, well, he's the best player. Like, oh, yeah, he's yeah, the form yeah, yeah, player yeah, in the yeah. world, you know? Do you remember that period where, oh, oh, I know you remember this period, but, like, mm. when Khan Fotouli was, like, one of the best players in the mm. world playing for the Ospreys, and just by default, in a really average game, he was just getting mal on the match left, right, and centre, even if, like, yeah, yeah. he didn't really, by his standards, have, like, by, like one of the best games. He was just creating so much by just being the most confident player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of form Buffelli's in at the minute. Mm. Yeah. You can almost do yeah. no wrong. Yeah, Hernandez was like, when he was making mistakes, he was doing them with so much confidence. And he was also unwilling to then take a risky chance a minute later. Like, nothing seemed to phase him. And I don't think he had a standout game in the way he did the previous match. Sure. But I still think he was just like, he was riding on so much confidence that he was just getting away with literally everything he tried. Yeah, so much was coming off for him. And in fairness, though, I I will say as well, like, in the first half when Georgia were playing well and defending well, he was kicking mm. a lot of ball, which I think was the yeah, right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, He was yeah, playing yeah. a lot of territory. It's a Tuesday night Rugby World Cup match. Yeah. You know, it's the most Tuesday night Rugby Cup match. Obviously, the Tier 1 team is going to kick a hell of a lot of ball for almost no reason. Yeah, and people are going to complain about it also for no reason. Also, Georgia, bloody hell of discipline. <laughs> I know they all play in the Pro Day dub, but like, come on, man. So many stupid penalties they kept giving away. So there was so, this thing, right? So in the 2015 World Cup... Um, are you going to tell the same anecdote I was starting? Oh, who's going to tell this? Should we rock, paper, scissors? You go, 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 you go, you go, you go. In the 2015 World Cup, <laughs> we went to the fan zone to watch Georgia against... Tonga. Tonga. Uh, in the it is the same round. anecdote. It yes. is the same anecdote, yeah. And it was a really good game. It was our first experience in a rugby World Cup fan zone. We really, really enjoyed it. And Georgia won in- that game. 
in a few years time this podcast we're not going to say anything to each other because we'll just be about to say the same honestly, thing over and over again this podcast will be four this. minutes long or six hours long and there'll be no in between so yeah so we watched that game really enjoyed it historic georgian win over tonga one day yeah. we'll cover it on here and then we'll probably Can't tell wait. this anecdote again on that three years time yeah. yes who knows who knows what order we're going to do these and we're not decided that yet don't don't stick to that but that was in cardiff that we watched that the fan zone mm. before watching ireland against canada in that World Cup, and we were staying at our grandparents' house in Ustrid Lovely place is Ustrid Munich. Yep. The Sharks played there very recently, yes. the Lions. Yes. The Lions. Do you want to tell a story of what happened when we spoke to Grandad about the game? Well, yeah, so our Grandad watched both the games that afternoon himself on the TV. Lover of sport was Grandad. Is Grandad. Oh, enormously, enormously, yeah. Really into it, you know, was really into his football in the day, really into the Loves rugby. City. yeah. Was always good at football, never good at rugby, but loved watching rugby. Loved golf as well. Bless him. Bless granddad. Paid for all the sport channels. That was kind of his big priority of what he wanted to do with his retirement was he just got all the sport channels and watched all of them all the time. They were always on. You know, there'd always be like Australian tennis or something on. And again, rugby was like one of the, you know, the the biggest. If it was on, the, the rugby was on. It was sort of Cardiff City, golfer as rugby, well. everything else. Like world, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. not world class, but like international class golfer. No, world class. World, world class. class. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, and so Granddad had watched Georgia against Tonga, and he started talking about it. And he said, "You know what? I really felt sorry for Nigel Owens in that game." And we went, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Granddad, yeah, why's yeah. why's that? Why's that, Granddad? Why did you feel? Yeah, why did we all feel collectively sorry for Nigel Owens? Because you disagree with him because he was such a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was so lovely." And he went, "Well, the thing is, he was having to deal with all these players, and I don't think any of them knew the rules." <laughs> Well, a lot of them just didn't know the rules of the game. Particularly the Georgians, he was saying. The, a lot of the Georgians just didn't know the rules. As you were saying. And we then have that moment of going, yeah, you know what? You're right, actually. You know what? I didn't think of that. But you're you right, Grandad. Grandad. Yeah. You got a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't. It was very interesting that all the Georgians were trying to kick the opposition in the face at every opportunity. Yeah, that was very interesting. You know, it, it was very odd that they put a player in goal because <laughs> they didn't know the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of those things. Like, I, remember, I don't know why they did bring out rackets. I remember also having a conversation with Grandad where um, he spoke about, oh yeah, I don't get why scrum halves always box kick the ball in the air all the time. Why not just run it and keep it in your hands? And I was like, yeah, Grandad, you are right. When if someone said this on Twitter, I'd have flipped my fucking lid. Whereas Grandad, yeah, I was just like, yeah, you know what? I 100% agree with you. Like, just run the ball. There's so much more opportunity that way, right? Him saying that he what thought Dan Bigger always looked very nervous and clearly wasn't very confident in himself. And I was like, yes, famously, that's what they say about Dan Bigger, is he is lacking in confidence. He's my favourite sports pundit of all time. Yep. I would listen to anything he would say. Yeah, and I agree with it, like, unconditionally. He's the dream guest for this podcast. He certainly is. He certainly is. Oh, man. What a legend. I might give a man the match later. <laughs> He'd deserve it. Every single game. No, because if, if you give Grandad Man of the Match now, right, then it means every game from now on we've got to give Grandad Man of the oh, Match. Oh, shit, that's true. So we've got to make an agreement in one or two directions, right? Either Grandad is banned from getting Man of the Match, or Grandad automatically gets an extra Man of the Match vote in every game, and we're just not going to count them. I feel and like... we nominate a second favourite. After the whole dog fiasco, it's probably best off we leave it for the time being. Yeah. Wait till 2015, because we had some involvement with him in that. True. So, rest of the first half, there's just kind of another couple of penalties. At one point, Gear Gadze, the hooker, makes a break, 
and Borges gets back and makes a really good tackle on him, which clearly really hurts. And it's called back for a forward pass, and Borges is fuming. Like, mate, have oh, I just yeah, put yeah. my body on the line for this to be called back and like not materially make any difference? Come on, I thought this was my country. It's for nothing. In a game where both countries, both teams, are really putting their bodies on the line, to see someone regret it, it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's then the point where, down the left-hand side, Aramburu makes a break because Hernandez mm. puts this beautiful pass over the top to him. He is eventually put into touch after 15 yards, but, you know. Lovely, beats a couple of people on his way. Very lovely yeah. run. Did you watch the half-time analysis of this game? I started watching it, then I skipped the rest of it. May I ask your reason for skipping the rest of it? It's 2007, isn't it? As I said, the guy says that George have no finesse, but they do try. And he says like, oh, I disagree with you, but I do think that this game doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, they spend the whole time in the studio talking about what this means for Ireland rather than anything else. Yeah, it's all yeah. about like, what's Eddie O'Sullivan going to think. But... Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't blame them at all for doing that. And like, yeah, who else is going to be watching that? You know, it's not the same as UK coverage where they, when they only talk about England, when like you've got mm. Welsh and Scots fans turning, uh, turning on. The, I'm surprised that when you said you skipped the half-time thing, you didn't say it was because the main pundit they had on was Neil Francis. Oh, Jesus, I didn't even recognise him. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, yeah. it's just some Neil's guys, like you know? It's just telly. like... Yeah. It's like when most people watch rugby coverage, you know, when they have the Six Nations on in a pub and they just get to half time and like, oh, look, it's just some guys. It's just some posh guy like, guys, yeah. If it's, it's not Johnny guys. Wilkinson, most people don't recognise them. Yeah. And so, like, oh, look, it's just some guys and yet they burn out every rugby fan because they get in bloody Clive Woodward, who knows nothing, and bloody Jonathan Wilkerbob, who is a lovely bloke and great and wonderful and, and everything else, but is not following rugby at the minute. <laughs> And just kind of comes out and goes, yes, well, they need to give 100% and, and really get their mindset right. And you're like, brilliant. Thanks, John and Bob. And then you're just sort of like, this is great, insightful work. Brilliant stuff, ITV. Super, superb coverage. Yeah. Oh, Delalio's back in the room. He must have done his lines. Here he is. Yeah. And then he'll go, physicality. And you'll be like, thanks, Lawrence. And that'll be that. And then they'll cut back. And everyone in the pub will be like, that's some guy's. I don't recognise them because rugby did not cross over properly beyond Wilkinson. That's just some guys who can't provide any insight to anyone of any level. Point being, fuck off, Neil Francis. Correct. They then yes. So there's, they do two pieces of analysis. One of them is, here's Argentina trying to pick and go, and uh, then some stuff happens yeah. and they get turned over. The second piece of analysis is... I watched that. So, yeah, they then do go, skip to an ad break, and then they come back just before the second half, and then they're like, oh, and in this break, you've just spotted something really interesting, a piece of analysis that you're going to now show us about that could be really interesting about uh, Georgia. And then he goes, yes, well, um, I think uh, when Ireland play them, they might want to occasionally give the ball to the wingers, because if you look here, and then they show that pass we've just described by Hernandez, and they just go, they pass the ball to the winger, and um, he has quite a good run, and of of course, he just get bundled into touch, but they made a good 40 metres there. He wins about 10 yards. It's just nothing. It's nothing. Just brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. Good work. Yep. And like, look, what we do is only minorly, oh, yeah. minor, minor gains above nothing. Yes. Like, we're looking at a scrap of dirt. It's just but funny like, to look at because it's 2007, isn't it? Yeah. So they come out for the second half. And Georgia do the worst exit anyone has ever seen. Well, I was going to say before that, Mark Robson mentions Namibia and says, I'm sorry to say the N-word. Yes, I recorded that because I was like, that is a truly remarkable line. Yep. 
clearly thinking, oh, it's too soon because Ireland scraped past Namibia. And they had Vitboy. They had bloody Vitboy. And he was showing this disrespect. Who does he think he is? I also just don't like that as a joke that someone would make. No, I think it's 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 a shit joke. It's like, oh, I'm going to pretend I'm going to be racist. Shut up. Yep. Georgia, shit exits. Yes. All time bad. Genuinely maybe the worst exit attempt I've ever <laughs> yeah. seen in my life. I could not believe what I was watching. It took me about six times to go back and you're like, every single bit of this is bad and get, makes it worse. Like every bit compounds on the next bit and makes the next bit even worse than it would have been. Where... There's an initially absolutely terrible pass by Abazidze back to Kavirakashvili. And it kind of catches him above his head. And he's like, he's got no time whatsoever. So he turns to his side to try and clear it, slice it like the far way across. He just tried to slice it. Yes. Yeah. Well, he stood like on the left-hand side of the pitch. And the easiest thing would be to clear that such line. But he kind of, because of the angle he's been throwing the pass at, he has to try and clear the right-hand side, which is miles Mm. away, which is like the far side, like other side of the post. He is on his correct foot. I will say. Mm. Yeah, but the pass is on his outside, yeah. so he's got to recover. Yeah, the pass is terrible. So he then tries to recover and change where he's aiming as he's kicking the ball. So obviously he slices it, but he doesn't even slice it into touch. So the ball travels almost exactly laterally. It makes about one metre, travels the width, doesn't even go into touch. He's so on his trial line when he does this, by the way. Jim yeah, Shalaja, yeah, yeah. the fullback. Yeah. To Jim Shalaja, who then goes for this kick, as you said, tries to adjust where he is, slices it exactly horizontally. It lands somehow miraculously into Machinelli's hands. And he goes, shit, and just tries to hammer it as far as he can, which is about two meters. Yep. It's like a succession of four players attempt to exit and all of them get progressively worse. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great. And they then have to defend for like a five minute block after that. And it's really not nice for them. Thankfully, McAnally comes in with two on the dot man and ball shots. One of them's quite high, but yeah. one of them's technically superb. He just stinks of the coaches said, you know, accuracy, accuracy, accuracy at half time. And then that is how they start it. And he's going, oh, shit. Yep. This is going to end up 30 points to three. Not having six free at half time. Yeah. But then there's a point. So Argentina spill the ball. And Georgia, just from their own try line, have a really nice little breakaway. Really good hands mm. to get upfield. And they get the ball into the hands of Kamisharidza, the, the left winger, uh, who yeah. has a nice little run down the right-hand side. Borges gets that. Bloody fantastic big guy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, didn't know much about him going into this. You know, I haven't seen him play before. And he's kind of quite quiet in the first half. Yeah, I think Machinelli gets no. most of the headlines. Yeah. But the moment he gets the ball, he is quick. And he starts going for it. And he's like a big, powerful guy. And Borges is able to catch up with him because he's just quicker. Yeah. He's just like... But also he's carrying half the heft. So, yeah, so no surprise. Yeah, yeah. Borges does brilliantly to get back. And it's, it's interesting because at that point you kind of assume like Georgia about to roll over and die. And they have that thing of like, no, we could actually get some momentum here. And it's mm. interesting that kind of tussle at the start of the second half. But it doesn't last very long, that tussle, I would say. Well, Merab narrowly misses a drop goal. He does. Which is a really good attempt, yeah. really good strike. Good option as well. It looked like it was going over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try and Georgia break that kind of, kind of yeah, deadlock. Their attack wasn't breaking down Argentina. Like, it wasn't horrible, but like, it was just very simplistic. Like, they've sort of, as the, the halftime guy says, they've sort of got no finesse. 
Yeah. At one point, Georgia do try and go wide, but they just have two passes that are terrible in a row. Yeah. And it means they're getting caught on the game line even when they've got an overlap. Yeah. And then, as I say, eventually that kind of, yeah, so to speak, deadlock is indeed broken because Borges ends up scoring a try as that thing you described earlier in the game about uh, the two mm, waves of the attack. second wave. And it's fascinating how clearly this is just drilled into the players rather than just being like a systematic thing that the players yeah, all know yeah. how to run this line because the guy running that line off Contopomi is in fact Fernandez Lobe, the flanker, yeah. runs that line. And that's that's like, nowadays, you'd expect that to be run by a fullback or a winger, that line. Over 13, yeah. Yeah, over 13, yeah. Like... Coming in really, really late, staying hidden, and then breaking through, timing the pass to Borges really well. Fantastic by Lobby. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And Contopomi's timing and ability to pull the that lift back, on the passes because Lobby comes into position late. Like, as you yeah. said, I think you refer to it as staying hidden. I think he changed his line and adapts mm, late on. Okay. And Contopomi is constantly aware to it and alert to where he is in his surroundings, even when it looks like he's cut off that decision. You know, it looks like he's kind of moved beyond that being feasible. Yeah. And he swings it across his entire body to get the pass in. Delivers it perfectly. Yeah. No, it's yeah. It's the same try. channel that, well, three of Argentina's tries come through this channel where they just kind of split that wing and 13 channel really nicely. Yeah. And I think partly because Machinelli is so good at chasing back He's often over chasing mm. and he's covering the ball carrier and the guy outside here. Yeah. And they end up getting on the outside of Rokish yeah. at 13. It's an interesting thing, actually. Yeah, you're right. Like, a load of tries were scored down his wing and yet he's one of the best players on the park. It's not his fault. Inside, it's like, but if you look at them, all of them, right, they've just overloaded him. So he's covering like three players yeah. and the 13's on the left with two and the 13 isn't making the decision. And that's it. And like, also, if he wasn't there, if they had somebody else on that wing, they'd have scored seven tries down that wing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not long after that, there's a point where I have written down either the ball or Giorgadze's head goes flying into Abusa Rita's face after a big tackle from Ledesma. So yeah. not really sure what went on there. There's then something that... Oh, Contopomi gets a penalty, 16-3. There's then a point mm. where there's something that I can only describe as some Bergamasco passing by Georgia. Oh, God. As, yeah. Again, it's all compounded by starting off with Abusa Rita and then Kaviru and then Giorgadze in the centres... And it's just then none of them are helping each other out. Somebody just has to say, you know what? This has been shit. We need to accept a 20-yard loss rather than a 40-yard loss. It's really Their passing is consistently way below the standard. Yeah. When all the rest of their skills, like their kicking game is really good. Yeah. Right? And like, there may be some that look at the quality of Abdelazay's pass and think, what's he doing in this team? But his box kicking is really great. Yeah, agreed. And his kind of other core skills are good, just like... His passing is of a standard below. Like, he'd be a good passer at amateur rugby. Absolutely. At international level, in the noughties. He is Under that level of standard. pressure, yeah. It's difficult. Like, in the 80s or 90s, he'd have been a really good passer. Yeah. 100% he would have. Yeah. Like... It's a different culture in the World pa- Cup. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, there's an argument. He's probably a better passer than, like, David Kirk was. Yeah. But... You know, it's just like the standard is different when defences are as good as Argentina's is. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, the ball eventually lands on the floor. Hernandez picks it up, feeds Borges, who... And this is a hell of a finish. Fantastic finish. Absolute pace of him to even think he can get there. Yeah. And then manages to burn the guy on the outside. Incredible effort from Gorgodze to get That's back. That's the thing. It's the fact that you, when you realise the guy stood up fullback is Gorgodze who's managed to get there. And the fact yeah. that he even has to take him on the outside rather than just run to the corner, you know? He has to, like, stutter, try and trick him into thinking he's going to go the other way. And yet, yeah, takes him on the outside, plants the ball on the floor superbly. Amazing. 
It's a really incredible finish. Mm. Like, really, really impressive. Yeah. And Argentina have had plenty of chances, but only two that have been kind of... Well, no, I think they've had three that are clean cut. And one of them, Borges, gave a perfect pass that Ledesma dropped. Yeah. And the other two, Borges has taken himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what you want for a winger, isn't it? Yeah. So th- th- here's one of my favourite points of the game, actually. So Abusarita take a quick tap on his own try line mm. and then goes for a long kick downfield. And usually you go, why would you do that? Because you're not getting the lineup. Actually, he goes, no, they've got nobody back there. This is a better opportunity to develop momentum and put loads of pressure on them. Arambaru yeah, yeah. is the first man to get back there. And he, he literally picks up the ball and freezes. Like, shit, I've got three men in front of me. How am I going to get round them? And he has this little thing of trying to do this little stutter step to get round them. And he just goes, oh, what do I do? And has to eventually just wait for his men to get back and just slam into them, seven style. But he does very well to retain the ball. I can say that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's another kick he puts in shortly afterwards. He puts in a brilliant kick on turnover ball. And the ball then is an absolute nightmare bounce for Coletto. Mm. Like, he, it's a similar situation to Borges in the first half where he thinks it's going to sit up for him and he just bounces in the complete opposite direction and it goes straight into Machinelli's hands. Yes! Yes! And you think this is a good attacking position for Georgia. Yeah. If only they had an attack. <laughs> That's the thing. It then just becomes endless, not even picking and going, just standing around the rock and looking at it. <laughs> I've got so many huge shots that Machinelli gets in. There's one on Borges mm. he does. There's one on Durand. And just things like that kick look like a complete lost, bat- lost course. Yeah. Like, that ball could have bounced in any of, like, 99 directions, and 97 of them is recovered yeah. by Coletto. Yeah. Or another Argentine player tracking back. And it happens to go in one of the two where he'd get to and it. And that's it. But he's still chasing that, you know, knowing it's a two in 99 also, chance. Also, the follow-up on that. So Merab gets, gets the ball and does this mm. random chip, which clearly isn't on because the backfield is set. And then just runs into the nearest man and calls, oh no, he's taken me off the ball. <laughs> Send a dirty get off. But also, that was just daft in an attacking opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we have a word for around this time as well? Mm-hmm. Fired Mascheradze comes on in the back row for Georgia, mm-hmm. number 19. Yeah, yeah. And I think he, he has a very clear philosophy on rugby that I think becomes very clear as he goes on. Yeah. Which is that... Your squad number, the number on your back, is the number of penalties you should aim to give away. <laughs> and he plays 28 minutes, and I think he gives away 19 penalties. I think he hits his quota. They're all so stupid and obvious as well. Yeah. Like, he doesn't know what the offside line is, let alone where. He's never heard of offside. Like, no. every tackle is around somebody's throat with a swinging arm. Like... He's tripping people up. It's constant. If we thought Cote Corleone was bad, Jesus, this guy, he can double it. He does a great, great counter-ruck where he goes to counter-ruck and just falls over the top, then starts, like, starfishing yes! to get the scrum off Like, way. they've used the term swimming through a mall before. He was literally doing a breaststroke for a ruck. Yeah. He's just, like, he's a remarkable player of very little discipline, and I'm completely here for it. <laughs> Yeah, couldn't agree more on everything you've just said. Again, look, he's coming straight out of the pro day, duh. What more do you want? <laughs> That's true. He probably gets away with that at club level. You know, this is just what he does. It's like he's literally paid to be a shit out. Yep. Can you blame him for trying? <laughs> yeah, he's not used to having a real professional referee. This, can you blame him? <laughs> I just need to get into a good position. 
Flipping onto Pomi has this point where he receives a really shit pass, then goes, what do I do here? Runs into the nearest guy and just barrels through him and makes this really nice break, really direct, which sometimes I suppose you forget because Contepomi was a fly half, was kind of the main part of his game. He was a bit of a crash ball fly half, Contepomi. And then, who should give away a penalty at the breakdown? But Mike Serrata himself! Can I have a word, however, for... I think it's Jim Sadze, mm-hmm. but I actually think it could have been Marab Kuvakas, really, whoever's at fullback. Okay. Their defence on that Felipe Contepomi break, right, which normally the approach when a player makes a break, right, is you go around the waist, you try and bring them down, yeah. or you try and roll them and use the momentum against you. He just runs at the same height straight at him <laughs> and goes high on him and just wraps him up and, like, tries to fall. Like, he's trying to use his own momentum against him. Like he's trying to cause a choke tackle in open play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He runs in at full height and tries to wrap around him and somehow gets away with it. It's incredible technique. But, yeah, penalty's given away. Hernandez goes, let's not mess about, lads. Takes a quick tap, looks outside him and goes, right, okay, well, they're going to be stretched a little bit thinly here, Georgia are, so I need to look to the pace man outside me. And goes, okay, well, I've got Borges on the wing. And I've got Corletto is starting to start a run out up from fullback. So instead, I'm going to give the ball to Patricio Albacete, the pace man outside him. Um, Albacete skins a man. What's going on there? Yeah, and like, normally, I've heard Patricio Albacete could skin a man before. But they meant with a potato peeler. <laughs> like, <laughs> didn't mean for pace. Yeah. So he, he takes the replacement prop for Georgia, Omar Hassan Jail on the outside. And scores. And it's a proper, like, he does the little whole, like, in and out thing, but, like, in a kind of piss-takey yeah, like, way. almost Marcus Smith Gooster yeah, as he goes. But, but as I say, like, almost taking the piss out of Sevens rugby, you know? Go, yeah, like, oh, yeah, I've yeah, seen yeah. them do this. I'm way better uh, than this. But he has this, like, when it comes off and he scores, he has this big look of, like, yeah, I always knew I could do that. Yeah. All of you should have believed in me. I always had that in the locker. If you ever came up to me and said that I couldn't do that, I'll knock you out. Can I tell you something insane? Yeah. Albacete scored 43 points for Toulouse in his... Nearly as many as Marab scored in his rugby league career. No, 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 no. I need you to take a moment for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I made my joke and then realised that is not divisible by five. So that's 20 tries, which makes sense considering he plays... And it's not conversion, it's a penalty. ...over 200 tries. So he gets a penalty at some point. You don't usually give a penalty to your retiring player, do you? Usually it's a conversion. Yeah. So... What happened there? I don't know. We need to get to the bottom of this. Should we watch every top 14 game ever? Well, every Toulouse game? Every Toulouse game. All these games game Toulouse. That I'm played. For over 12 years? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's watch 12 years. For, so we're doing 12 years versus Toulouse games. Yeah. Uh, we're doing every qualifying game Afri- of the African Qualifying Cup from 2006 and 7. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon uh, movies. We're doing Reese Witherspoon movies. Rugby we're doing 1997 Premiership. Yeah. Uh, we're doing all the Rugby League World Cups, we're doing all the Women's World Cups, we're doing all the Sevens World Cups. Yeah. And we're doing... Fucking loads, mate. That's what we're doing. There was something else. There was definitely something else that we came up with, but we'll, we'll remember it later on. Okay, That's so fun. we're doing... But we're, doing, we're adding all of Patricia Albacete's games for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Win. Until he scores a penalty, yeah. at which point we can stop. If he scores on his debut, okay. then we're fine. <laughs> if he goes for a drop goal on his first touch of the ball, eight minutes in, we can just call it quits. But yeah, Albacete scores. Very strange sequence of events. Georgia are looking very tired at this point, I would say. 26-3 down. And uh, Argentina, of course, at this point are three tries up. And they go, okay, Mm. all right, lads. So we can get our bonus point try here. So um, 
what we need to do is we need to bring on some fresh legs. We need to bring on fresh legs, bring on somebody who can really, really bring the pace to the game and really tire out Georgia even more than they already are. Let's bring on... There's only one name for it. Federico Todeschini, that's who. Because when you think quick attacking rugby, you think Federico Todeschini. Certainly do. And I'll tell you what, it comes up on the graphic that they brought of Fernandez. I was very glad to see that they hadn't. They just moved him into the centres, <laughs> so it was fine. And yeah, Todeschini moved to 10. But Todeschini got the ball like twice, so wasn't really yeah. much to worry about in the end. Yeah, so we then have we have an incredible effort from Makanashvili to make two try savers in a row. And then Georgia managed to just about clear it, get it upfield a bit. And then, as a scrum is setting, we have the dreaded moment. We have the Rugby World Cup's first ever Nigel line. Oh, boy. Talk us through it. So, Nigel Owen calls in two players, from one from either side. And as they're coming in, he also has to bring in Mamuka Gugodze to translate from English into Georgian to whichever of the players he's telling off. I think it's Labzadze, the seven. And he calls them in and he says, he turns to the Argentine player and he goes, it's your second game of this tournament. And he turns to the Georgian player and says, it's your first game of this tournament. He then says, it's been really good up until now. Let's behave and make sure it's not your last. Yeah. And Gorgodze, who is supposed to be translating this, just looks at him and then turns back to his player and then they walk away. <laughs> He does not say a word of translation back. Oh, Nige. What I love about that, though, is... He goes, he did a joke. We do not do jokes <laughs> here. What I, what I love about that, though, is Godze f- starts on two people in the game. One of them is Felipe Contopomi, and the other one is Marcos Ajurza. Yes. And it's just it's just great, like, the uh, the contrast of just, like, going for, like, you know what, I'll start on their um, their biggest back. And I'll start on the absolute nails front row forward as well. And he's loving it. Like, he's loving the opportunity to start fights with these big lads. And good on you, Mamuka. Godspeed. I also think it's very interesting, the evolution of Nigel Owen's lines, right? Because we've looked at the evolution of, like, attacking, play and defence and kicking and everything over World Cups. I think an important thing is the evolution of Nigel Owen's ego over these World Cups. Because you say, he referees in, like, an egoless manner here. Yeah. Right? And he does towards the end. He calls players in and he clearly has, like, a witty line that he's thought of. He he stumbles over that one, though, doesn't he, a little bit? He does. Which is, he thought of that. I think he thought of it at half-time rather than three weeks prior. It's very much a clever line that a referee might actually say. Yes. It's something that a witty referee with a good turn of like, phrase would say, rather than something, you know, rather than a chat show host from S4C <laughs> would come up with when he had three weeks to prepare, knowing he's going to be playing in quite whatever stadium in a few weeks' time, which is what Nigel Owens' lines became by 2015. Mm. And certainly beyond that, when they were non-stop in being so by 2019. So... I think it's interesting because it's very much believably in character as though he is in his career as an actor, as a thespian, playing a referee. Sure. It's like dialogue that are, you know, like like you have dialogue written, like cop dialogue for TV cops, mm. you know? It's like referee that be, it's like Strange era of Nigel, For a referee. Yeah. yeah. Where he's somewhere in between. He's close to being a normal referee. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? I've got time for it. I'm fine with it. You know, he didn't overdo it at this point. It was once in the game, last and five minutes, it's fine. Big fan of Godze not translating it. No, no, no. Instead, <laughs> just going, high-fiving his opposite that. man and just going like, good yeah. fight, meet again later and do that again. Yeah, um, yeah. He said meet him in the car park and do that again. Yeah. Yeah, Georgia are just so bad at exiting that they can't <laughs> get anywhere at all. 
Yeah. And eventually, Merab tries to run it out from behind his own line because he's just under a lot of pressure. And he's like, I can't, I can't do this. Mashinelli, you've been our best player. Have a crack yourself. Oh, no. And he's like, seriously? <laughs> They're all marking really? me by now. They all, they know <laughs> I'm the best player. They're all marking me. They've all forgotten about the France game now. They're only thinking <laughs> about marking me. They're going to be coming into the next game against Ireland and thinking, do you remember Do you remember that time that we all tackled Iraqi McInerney? They, like He was just trying so hard to just run away. Yeah. It was, it was awful. He and couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, then Argentina have one last attack. Results in Hernandez having the ball, having a little bit of a run, getting tackled. Aram Baru then scores exactly the same try that Albacete did. Yes. More or less, like, he hits an identical line in the identical part of the pitch. Hernandez's pass to him is just one of those that, you said the thing about confidence earlier, it's one of those that when everything else is coming off for you, that pass comes off for you. If that was the mm. first minute of the game, that wouldn't necessarily happen, but it just feels like everything that Hernandez can t- is touching is turning to gold. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. one of those things that luck is just so far on his side that he can just do anything and it will result in a try. Uh, so Arambaru scores. Yay! Poor Georgia. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like George's performance would have warranted a far closer scoreline. I think the scoreline does not reflect how good a fight George would have been nice for them to have a try. Yeah, but also this bonus point is key in knocking Ireland out of the World Cup in the pool stage, so therefore it's worth it. (laughs) Yeah, that brings down, that's the final play of the game. That ends proceedings. Yeah. And you really feel for Georgia because they put up a lot of a fight, but Argentina are clearly the better team. It's kind of, because Argentina are in the process of moving up the tiers, as it were, here, it's interesting that this really does feel comprehensively like a tier one team playing a tier two team. Yes, it certainly does. Rather than a big tier two team playing a small tier two team. Yeah. Like, there's a big difference in class between these two. Obviously, it's a very good Argentine team, so it makes sense, but... Yeah, no, you feel for Georgia massively, but they they definitely played their part, so good on them. Absolutely. No. One of the most choosing that games ever played, and that is something worth celebrating. Absolutely. We move on to Dick of the Man and Day of the d- Day. Yes. Where do you want to start? Let's do Man of the Match. Okay. Because I think there might be some curveballs here. Yeah. From both of us, I've got a feeling. I mean, I've got t- two names written down that I think were As above the rest. So one of them... I've got one from either side. Me too. I'll go first and foremost for the one who I'm not going to give it to. And that is McAnally, who yeah. was just fantastic. That For sheer effort alone, the best player on the park. The amount of huge hits he put in, and just not just for dramatic effect, like they stopped tries and stuff. Yeah. Like He was so impactful and just like a real kind of warrior-like performance from him. I really, really liked that and respected that. So definitely deserves a mention. But you know what? Despite everything we've said about him, it just feels like by default, my man of the match is Juan Martin Hernandez. Oh, really? Yeah, I just felt like... Really? Yeah, in the first half... He was not in contention for me. Yeah, interesting. So in the first half, he kicked what was necessary, you know, and he just Hmm. looked... One notch above the, everybody else in this game the whole time. Mm. And again, it was the confidence thing, wasn't it? He sets up all of Argentina's tries, I believe. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously a big part in it. And yeah, it, it just felt like it's it's almost, it's a rite of passage. Like I have to give it to him. Everything <laughs> yeah. he did just came off. And it, again, it was extremely Tuesday night. And it just felt like he deserves to be playing on Saturday. And you know what? He was the best <laughs> player in the park. Uh, I have to give it to him. Okay. Okay. 
I disagree, but sure. Yeah. No, he wouldn't have been. I thought he had a okay. I thought he had a game where he was getting away with life. So quite a jammy performance was, by him. It was extremely but, jammy, but he set yeah. up four tries in the process of being jammy. That's fair enough. I there's this thing we've done a lot on this podcast that we've talked about before, right? Where sometimes you don't talk about a player. And you get to man of the match and you're like, well, you I like they were the dick. best player on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. But there's another player that we've talked about a lot that I think was absolutely brilliant okay. in Machinelli, who I thought was like the second best player on the pitch for me and I thought was unbelievable yeah. and really deserves the vote. And there's a bit of me that wants to change my mind now. Mm-hmm. But I think the best player on the pitch was Martin Duran, the flanker oh, for Argentina. I would not have thought that. I thought I don't he think was he was brilliant. bad. I just didn't. I just thought it was such a scrappy game. I thought he was really to use friend the pod Lee Calvert, who will return next week, saying one of the key components of being a six is are you about it and amongst it, you know? And he always was. Yeah. And he makes two really important turnovers that end George's he two does. attacks. Yeah. And he is just always there. There's a few times when Argentina just kicked where he chases really well and he really gets gets there. He makes a few huge hits. Yeah, yeah. And he's just always busy. Every ruck you look at, he is in there just on the verge of giving away a penalty but stopping just short. It's so interesting how differently we've watched this game. Yeah, <laughs> Like on yeah, the basis yeah, yeah. of man of the match alone. That's so fascinating. Because I don't think either of us are wrong. I think that the two of us have just not noticed yeah. what the other person is saying. That's very true. <laughs> that I thought Martin Durand was excellent. Yeah, I, fair play. I want to give it to Machinelli because I just feel like on the ref- as a reflection of this podcast, yeah, that would be fair. But I think based on you know how I felt the game went, I thought Martin Durand was man of the match. Uh, Fernandez Lobby was the official man of the match, which I think is interesting because he wouldn't have stood out to me. No, wouldn't have come close to me to be honest. Not that he was bad, but yeah, yeah, yeah fair play. So. Dick of the day. Oh, Christ, yeah, we've not done that yet, have we? So, for some reason I have Ledesma written down, I don't really remember why. It might have been for the fact... He'd be dropping the ball when he's... That was it. Dropping yeah. the ball. Yeah, which, again, it's it's a constant. I've got also Miranda written down. I should probably have written... Why? Yes! It's because, at one point, Nigel tells him to use the ball three times at a mall, and he doesn't, and Nigel turns him over. And it's like, mate, when you're getting told that often, just use the ball? And so... I, like, I don't have much choice, but my he dick just... of the day is Neil Francis. <laughs> so the thing, Miranda there, right, is he's doing that, but he's assuming he's got a bib on and Gus Peacho's the one that's yes! the ball. Yes, Use it nine. Oh, nine, that's Gus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gus, this Welsh guy's telling you to use the ball. <laughs> yeah, Neil Francis is my dick of the day. For reasons Fair previously enough. explained in 1987. Yes. No, okay. So, my dick of the day. I think, again, you've got to look at Mario the Desma for bombing a try. That is a core moment. <laughs> you've also got Lucas Borges for not chasing that one kick, which, when he's opposite number, is chasing absolutely everything. Just felt like a dickhead thing to do. Yeah. But I feel, right, it comes down to a core trio of Georgians. In that you have Mashradze coming off the bench and giving away infinite penalties. <laughs> and just being like, mate, we were in this. Like, when he came on, Argentina had just scored their first try. And he then, obviously the team is tiring, there's other factors, right? But the infinite supply of ball he's giving them, and of 20 metres down the line they can take. And they can afford to quick tap and do things all over the place because he's bloody going to give them another one yeah, in 20 seconds give Albacete a run in the 13 channel yeah it's like you know when like your control is broken right 
and you're just keep keeps pressing the same button randomly. Like I remember us yeah, having it with yeah, like yeah. a GameCube control or something sure. when we were kids. It's like that, but on the thing in the Rugby World Cup, like Rugby Away and Rugby World Cup 2011 video games, if you press in the stick, it gives away a penalty. I think he just has a sticker book of things you're not allowed to do in a rugby field, and he's just trying to figure, like complete it. Yeah, he just doesn't know the rules. Doesn't Granddad rules. would tell him. Yeah. So I think there's him. I think there's Abdurazze for not having learned to pass before heading to the Rugby World Cup. But right, I take no pleasure in this. But I have spent a lot of my life trying to convince people that Merb Kavirkashvili is perfect. And so to see him have maybe the worst game of his career here. It's quite sour, isn't it? Yeah, circumstances are not great for him. But was this worth throwing away his promising rugby league career for this performance? I can't do it. I don't have the heart to give Merb dick of the day, actually. Neil Francis was a pundit. It's going to Neil Francis. Yeah, of course it is. Okay, cool. Join yeah. the dark side. Yeah, I'm not giving it to Merab. I yeah. like Merab too much. Merab's a favourite. He's perfect. There we go. You're in denial. <laughs> I, I am. I am in. I am in the Neil. The, the Neil. Shut up. So that brings us to the end of this one. I will shut up in just a moment. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Will, as ever. It was my pleasure. Five out of ten. Yeah, brilliant. Please join us next week. When we will be joined by, as mentioned, not just Lee Calvert, but also Josh Gardner from the Blood and Mud podcast. The full lineup, both of them, to cover England's 36-0 loss to South Africa from the pool stage. I cannot wait. It's a hell of a thing. We have already recorded it. That is already That's why I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a hell of an occasion that lives up to the billing, I would like to say. Yes. We will see you there, along with Lee and Josh, and happy Sixmas, one and all. Happy Sixmas. We'll see you then on the other side the first weekend. Yeah. Goodbye, good night, good good luck, good. and indeed, good rugby. Good rugby. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.